Welcome back to the Period 5 Podcast, the coolest podcast in the world. Um, my name is Jack Murphy, and I'm sitting here with Dean Wally and Robert Phipps. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the temperance movement in the early 1900s. The temperance movement was a movement in the late 1800s into the early 1900s in the U.S., and it encouraged little or no use of alcohol. Uh, they uh, was very heavily influenced by religion, and... Uh, it led to the formation of the Anti-Saloon League, which was founded in 1893. And honestly, the funny thing about it is that it was actually considered a progressive movement, even though most people would think it was a regressive one. So, I don't know, I think that's personally pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it's pretty funny because they were they said that they were progressing, but really all they were doing were, was taking things away, like alcohol and other things, trying to becoming really, to be honest, more conservative, I would say. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so the Anti-Saloon League, it was this, um, uh, founded by Reverend Howard Hyde Russell and Wayne Wheeler. They, uh, worked together to influence, like, political votes and, like, uh, people to get elected, uh, in favor of the, uh, prohibition and the, uh, temperance movement. And also, there are other organizations that were much less popular than the ASL, but the ASL was the most like prominent one in the culture or in U.S. So yeah, and the um, the Anti Saloon League's uh, slogan, so to speak, was "The Church in Action Against the Saloon." And really, what the saloon, the Anti Saloon League was, was pretty much just about alcohol. A saloon was just representative of like the place where people consumed alcohol. They didn't. I feel like most of it wasn't over just saloons. It was mostly just alcohol. At the end yeah, I feel like uh, a big part of that was when you picture a saloon, not only do you get the image of the actual alcohol drinking, but maybe like like kind of the activities that ensue, gambling, like other stuff that just like creates a negative image in your head. So I think it was a good move if you're trying to uh, have, pr- like promote temperance to p- have people picture this image of how bad saloons were um, when you're talking about it so yeah um, so the uh, anti-saloon league sent 50,000 trained speakers into the field and collected 10,000 signatures on a petition um, and they pretty much everyone during the time pretty much had a reason that they would support um, prohibition uh, yeah uh, the it was surprising from to me when I saw that people as big as uh, Andrew Carnegie and Henry Ford were both in favor because they thought it would uh, increase their workers' output. And also, quickly going back a little bit, it's really important to note that the temperance movement, while it was targeting alcohol specifically, it was mainly tar- targeting quote unquote um, impure actions. So by naming it the Anti-Saloon League, I think what they were trying to do was actually get rid of the stigma behind saloons and like Dean was saying with the like, you know, bar fights and like other stuff that yeah. may happen in saloons, they were trying to target that and get rid of that in American society as well as alcohol. Yep. So as we were saying, um, pretty much everyone, so as Dean said, the, um, the big business owners were fans of it. Both Democrats and Republicans, racists and civil rights leaders all agreed that prohibition was the way. 
Oh yeah, that reminds me of uh, Booker T. Washington was a uh, was a big fan of it. Even though he was a civil rights leader, but he uh, believed that alcohol undermined black progress. Um, but at the same time, Southern whites supported it as well because they thought alcohol turned black people into quote brutes. Yeah, so people basically were afraid that it would either like pe people were afraid that it would either worsen their the people that they sided with or make the people that they were against worse, essentially. Yeah. Now, Robert, if I'm correct, you have a little story time for us. I do, actually, and I was about to mention that. So, although there were a lot of people in power who did support temperance, there were a lot of people who supported it on the outside but secretly couldn't really stop using alcohol. And this was really prominent in Congress, actually. So. Around 1925, Congress hired someone as, and it, he became known as the man in the green hat. And what he actually did was they paid him to deliver booze to them in Congress. So not even while they were at their houses in Congress itself. Um, and he'd make up to like 25 deliveries of illegal booze a day. Because keep in mind, 1925, this is when the 18th Amendment was or after yeah, the 18th yeah, Amendment. Yeah, 1917, the 18th Amendment is passed, largely in part due to the Anti-Saloon League, um, which bans the alcohol on a national scale in terms of production, transportation, uh, and selling of it. But funny enough, it didn't actually ban consumption, which is why this is possible. Exactly. So I think that's the loophole that Congress found, because although it banned, like Dean said, the manufacturing and all of that, it did not ban consumption. So I guess technically they weren't really breaking any laws by yeah, that. It's just ironic. It's just, yeah, exactly. It's just extremely ironic that they literally hired someone to give them booze. Yeah, because I'm wondering if you if you put them on a payroll, is it technically buying booze? Ex or is it, yeah, that's is the it, other thing. Yeah. yeah. I think that's actually pretty similar to um, today, um, how you have to be 18 years old to buy cigarettes and like nicotine products. However, a kind of unwritten loophole is that if you're under the age of 18, you're, you can still consume it legally. Is it unwritten or is it is it legal? It's just, it's not defined. You are allowed to consume it under the age of 18. It's just you can't buy it, which I think is... I yeah, I think that. that's a little... I don't think that's a very good idea. At least I think that should be rewritten. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's surprising to see, you know, like loopholes like that still like in 1900s and still are around today, but yeah. just in a different form. So yeah, exactly. I think we'll uh, cut it off there. Thanks for listening. Yeah. This has been the Period 5 Podcast, coolest podcast in the world. Signing off. <laughs>